This is uh, Chris and Hunter with uh, the Commonwealth Comics Podcast. Uh, this will be our second episode, uh, trying to get over some audio issues from that first episode and carry on with a little stronger voice this time. So what we're going to talk about today is going to be uh, Spider-Man, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, specifically leading into his early career in Marvel. Uh, leading into his image run uh, later on with Spawn and stuff like that. When I say run, it's really not really a run. He, he started a company, uh, <laughs> an empire, if you will. Uh, his run on Spider-Man led into that. So uh, what do you think about that, Hunter? Uh, yeah. So when did you first notice Todd McFarlane? I'd been reading... Uh, the Peter Parker uh, Spider-Man books. And then 1988, I was, you know, nine years old or so. Uh, you, you're going to read Spider-Man. That's a, as a kid, that's a great book to read because Spider-Man is a, uh, he's a young, he's, he's not really a, a man. He's, he's a boy still, the way he's drawn and everything like that. It's just an appealing book. Big Spider-Man fan growing up. We had the, reruns of the live action you know spider-man series from early on um so i first noticed him in that book i can't say that i started reading it right off the bat because i'm like eight you know nine years old when it came out you know so you're not really ready for for, for that kind of stuff but comic books is a good way to get into that so started reading it then uh was able to understand it a little better a few more years after that, you know? Um, so going back later when I was after spawn had come out in the early nineties and I was a little older going back and reading that, that, that series of books where it'd be, uh, his, uh, 298 to 328 run, which was, you know, basically a Spider-Man book with fantastic artwork and storytelling introduced, uh, venom in, which issue was it, Hunter? The debatable. Yeah, it's totally debatable. Uh, it technically it is three hundred, yeah. but it's totally in two ninety nine. You you get right. a full view of Venom. In Absolutely, at the very end, it's not even a like a half shadowy cami. It's full Venom. Um, I prefer uh, that version of Venom over yeah. any of them. You know, because uh, Eddie Brock is a is a, a giant bodybuilder in those books to begin with, an athlete. So uh, the symbiote is just basically taking over that giant hulking individual yeah. and, and just making him, him even bigger. Yeah. So that uh, Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 3, with uh, <laughs> Pepper Grace's very small uh, Spider-Man didn't work for me very well. No. Uh, Venom should not be the same size as Spider-Man. Venom is should be quite a bit larger. But again, yeah. So it, that is a debatable first appearance, like like the Wolverine issues. You know, yeah. Is it Hulk 180? Is it Hulk 181? Is there some boom book from way back that Wolverine first appeared in? But no. Um, yeah, 300. That issue. Amazing Spider-Man 300 done by McFarlane obviously has the the choice cover. You know? Yeah. I I think that's probably my first experience with uh, Todd McFarlane was seeing the 300 cover. Right. Uh, probably on a t-shirt or a poster or something. It's just right. an iconic cover. And uh, it really draws you in. It does. Absolutely. That, the dynamic the, artwork. Like, the it shows a lot of motion coming out. Like, it's almost 3D. Yeah. Like, he's the Spider-Man is flying towards you out of there. Yeah. And let's face it, n nobody, I don't care who it is, nobody draws the webs like uh, McFarlane does. No, absolutely not. The big giant spaghetti webs with the extra, all the, yeah. like, the man could spend, you know, hours upon hours just drawing the webs. Stuff's fantastic. If you've never 
really got into the seeing the the McFarlane uh, Spider-Man because it's been a very very long time since he's uh you know drawn that stuff. On occasion, he'll if you go to his uh, page, he'll do uh, some live drawings and stuff like that. And it's all in the digital age now, so he's yeah he's using got some tablet. Yeah, he's got some pretty fancy equipment, you know, and, but he still draws those webs and things like like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe like nobody's touching that there's some fantastic artists and they come close but there's been a lot of swipes of that cover oh a lot of homages yeah definitely so i mean i it's an i guarantee you it's 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 somewhere in the uh the hundreds if not thousands of covers somewhere you know there's always been a uh, i think there was just one recently come out but Oh yeah, uh, for Venom twenty three, I think. Yeah, and yeah, so that's, like I think a holographic cover, right? I think that's the last one that I remember it coming out. But yeah, yeah. it's a fantastic cover. Um, so I think that's why three hundred gets all the the providence, you know, yeah. that everybody, all the backing behind the people. Now, Spider Man was Todd's big break, but he did stuff way before. Yeah, like I, I, I believe he's sent in like. 700 different things to DC and Marvel to try to get into the comic industry. Right. He did. And they, they sent a lot back with some, and he got some, he was so, uh, prevalent in doing that. He's just so on it that, uh, some of the big time artists of the time and, and even editors and, and Stan Lee, and those guys were, were giving him critiques and sending them back and be like, well, maybe you'll, you know, you keep doing this, maybe you'll work for Marvel one day, or maybe you'll work for DC one day. And, yeah. And, and, and he did work for, for both of them, you know, in some form or fashion. I mean, there's an underrated, uh, McFarland Batman run, you know, yeah. it's not very long, but no, I mean, it's, I think even, it's four issues. Yeah. It's two issues. But the artwork like that. on that, Batman just looks killer in those yeah. issues. Anything that guy touches artwork wise, you know, what, what do you always say? Kids love chains and capes. Yeah. So he you know, always has big capes and yeah, lots so, of chains. And he takes the same same approach to the webs, uh, to the chains. So he he draws crazy chains all throughout the book, stuff like that. So um, he's a very prolific artist. He can crank stuff out. Like a lot of artists, there's some good artists out there, but uh, they don't necessarily meet deadline, and and so their work suffers in some way, or books get. Uh, out of order or set back. So, but yeah, he, so he had a, a solid run um, on Spider-Man, 30 issues, a uh, killer book. It, it shot him into being able to have a uh, his own solo run. So they invented a book, basically, for Todd to just, they're like, Todd, show out on this thing. So he had his own issues, uh, was it 14 issues or 13, really, I think. Yeah. Because he was contractually obligated to do 13 issues. And we'll get into why that is a kind of a weird deal later. But he did those issues, and he did that whole book like it was a, a horror comic. So to take that approach with uh, Spider-Man was, was kind of unorthodox at the time. And everybody ate it up. I think that first issue sold... 2.5 million copies. Yeah. I, I believe that's one of the uh, most sent in books to CGC ever. I would totally uh, not be surprised by that. Yeah. There is a ton of that book and it still sells. Yeah. Um, that 30 book, years later. That book will be on, it'll be a wall book at comic shops. It, yeah. it, it'll be at cons and people still buy it. Of course, there's like some special editions of that. Then there's like a re release that came yeah. out. In the early 2000s, I think yeah. it was. Which I believe I have one of those somewhere tucked away. Um, so, And I think uh, recently at, at a Heritage Auction or whatever, the, the, the original artwork for that cover that McFarlane did. This is comic book artwork. Oh, the number one? The number one, the, the cover artwork that Todd did. Not the book, but the actual artwork where he did it on, you know, on the the comic constraint sheets and stuff like that is uh, I think it sold for uh, $675,000. That, that's for some original comic book art. So if you don't think it's art, 
that's 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 on you. Six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. For anything, if you don't think it, you don't think Todd's a, a great artist or he's not popular for any reason, uh, I beg to differ on that one. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. So, but yeah, the like Hunter was discussing earlier when we talked about doing this episode, the one of the the wildest things about that that run that Todd did on on Spider Man, not the Amazing Spider Man, but his issues of Spider Man, um, was how the lizard looked and yeah. acted on there. So, He's terrifying. He is. He had so, never looked like that before. Yeah, he just looked kind of like a little man lizard. This guy looked like a big like a like a freaking dinosaur a big dinosaur yeah so yeah. him drawing that so if you haven't seen that you need to check it out look it up um, and during that time in comics um things were shifting to a more adult oriented focus like right before then um it was pretty you know campy and fun but then things like uh the dark knight returns or watchmen uh yeah the the late 80s um and then spider-man was affected too and it was focused more on adults right then and it's you see that ebb and flow in in the comic world because it's like the kids that were reading books in the 70s you know like kids they're now like in their 30s and stuff like that you know in their late 20s 30s and they're like I still want to read comic books, but I don't want to read like, you know, this little comic book that's that's geared towards a child. You know, yeah. they they want something for them too. So you, that's why you started getting all these uh, spinoff series. So you would have, you know, Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, Spectacular Spider Man, you know, stuff like that. Or you had Batman, The Dark Knight, Legends of the Dark Knight, Legends, you know, and you had all these like, you know. Gotham by Gaslamp, and you'd have these short, and and two because you had such a wealth of uh, artists, writers, and stuff like that at, during that time, and none of the big comic book companies really wanted to lose these guys. They wanted them under an exclusive contract. They didn't want to lose these guys to each other. Um, that was the big fear then. They didn't they didn't think about the future, which uh, Todd's about to really shake that up here in a little bit when we talk about that about instead of going to a different um, company, whether it be from Marvel to DC or back and forth, Todd's like, I'm just going to start my own company. There's nothing you can do about it. What are you going to do? I'm going to start my own company. I'm popular enough. People think I'm cool. The kids love me. I'm going to start my own company, and I'm going to make a ton of money, and I'm going to make the comics I want to make, and I'm going to get famous on my own. And all that is going to go to me because I own the company. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so he he left uh, Marvel, which was, you know, looking back on it now, at the time people thought it was not very uh, not very smart of him to do so. Oh, how dare you? You can't leave the, you can't leave the, uh, one of the big companies and just go, you know. And then he did. Took a whole host of yeah, creators he, with him. He took uh, uh, Eric Larson, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, uh, Will Spartaccio, Mark Silvestri, Jim Valentino, and all those guys. Like nowadays, to a '90s kid, um, and and folks that like those type of comics, like Hunter over here, that those guys are like, you know, the the, the founding fathers of of modern comics, if you will. Yeah. Um, they did a great job of uh, creating a, a whole business um, out of uh, basically doing the comics that they wanted to do and and creating in that way, like and, and not being beholden to some sort of uh, construct. Like there's that whole theory about you know a whole, rather not theory, but a whole like fallacy, if you will, about the how Marvel was this big like kumbaya thing and all the artists got along and all the writers and creators got along and it really wasn't like that they had the whole marvel bullpen is what they called it in reality that wasn't a, that was that was kind of a fake thing right like you couldn't get those artists in there working together they didn't they just didn't do that every once in a while like when they were doing when they started doing tours of the marvel headquarters they had 
uh, okay, you're going to be here today, Todd, and, and you're going to be here today, Rob, and you're, you're going to sit in here and you're going to pretend to work so that the the tourists can see you, you know? So it's like going to the zoo or something like that. <laughs> like, watch watch these guys work. When in reality, they have their own studios, you know? Yeah. And they would bounce ideas off of each other, but it was mostly through, like, phone calls and, and you know, they would fax things through, and, and that's a whole weird deal. Like, some of the artwork back then, it looks the way it looks because pages were faxed. Yeah. So, like, it looked totally different when it came through as, as a fax product than what the artist actually drew. So they were, like, looking at that, like, oh, well, this is kind of, like, crazy. Like, why are these lines this way? Well, it's because it got faxed through or there were copies. Um, so, yeah, them them to, to start their own company was fantastic. Um, and the big thing was they owned everything they created, which was not a thing in marvel or dc right yeah so that was the whole other thing was it was like you know any normal business where if you create a product or you you uh create a tool that would help you complete a task easier in your own job or whatever like that or a process like if you do that under that umbrella of that company you work for they get to keep that right that's their proprietary information that you created but yeah todd didn't want that for his guys, you know, they kind of talked to him and like, do you want to basically, you know, I don't know how the conversation really went, but I imagine it was like, Hey, do you want to own your own stuff? Do you want to come and be, uh, your own boss? So I'm sure a lot of them like that, even though, uh, you know, a few of them have gone back to work for those big companies. Like, uh, Jim Lee does what now? Oh yeah. And he's, he's the CEO. He's the CEO of what company? <laughs> DC DC comics so <laughs> which is okay because he he's drawn you know he's netched out a thing where he's drawn like in his way drawn like one of the definitive like Batman looks yeah like you, you see this this kind of this long-eared cowed Batman you're like with some crazy capes you're like that's Jim Lee Batman yeah. real long and stoic looking that's a Jim Lee Batman you know you know when when you look at a Miller Batman, you're like that's a big hulking like like a brawler, like a brawler guy. Yeah. yeah, this other guy is a is a sleek, you know, Playboy detective guy. Jim Lee draws that guy, yeah. and and Jim Lee's not a big guy, so I could see, you know, he kind of a lot of people say and you could see it where he takes takes some liberties with you know it's almost like a self portrait in a way. Oh, but, you could totally see that in the chin. Yeah, the chin is very very much gently so <laughs> but and you know todd he uh decided that uh that he was going to hold on to uh one character that he's been drawn since he was a kid in high school in the 70s you know and stuff like that so he's like well i'm keeping this character in my back pocket i'm not gonna put this out on a marvel brand i'm gonna i'm going to or any sort of brand this is gonna be my own creation so he led his issue his basically his book out of there was spawn obviously and we're going to kind of talk about you know the, the the start of spawn and and you know the, the beginning of it and kind of a little background on on spawn um and and how we can uh see you know todd you know getting that character to go the way he did and how he's uh just elevated it to basically pop culture i mean even as of recently it's been in several spawn's been in several videos it's been a new mortal Kombat game just a couple years ago um it was in uh, ready ready player one you oh know, he was leading, leading the charge in there which is there's some movie there's some things about that movie that i'm like uh from the book you know yeah but but spawn was in but it. spawn was in it and i was like that's cool like seeing spawn in a movie because lord knows if we'll ever see another spawn movie well, yeah. uh, there, there's been an update. We did get an update the other day, which is kind of, which is shocking. Out of nowhere, this update showed up. We'll, we'll see how accurate that turns right. out. So he, you know, like I said, Todd's kept this character uh, in his back pocket, and he's like, okay. So he starts hyping it up, and you know, he's already like put out the door at Marvel. He's supposed to do contractually obligated to do 13 issues for. For Spider-Man, he he basically skips an issue uh, with thirteen, and then is, realizes <laughs> his lawyer, I guess, tells him, "Hey, man, you got to go back and finish this off, or 
Marvel can sue the pants off of you and all the seed money you got to start your own company is going to go away. And Todd, Todd would know nothing about lawyers and no, he's lost nothing at all. We'll go over that, you know, like his legal wranglings later. But he uh, basically, you know, went back begrudgingly, did that 14th, just kind of phone that 14th issue in. Um, it's an X-Force crossover um, with Mr. Liefeld, um, who Hunter's a ginormous Liefeld fan. I like Liefeld. I don't mind him. The man can't draw feet, though. To save his life the man yeah. draw, the man draws who's his proportions are not yeah. great but i will give him i will i will give him this if you see that famous captain america image of just like the most misproportioned individual you've ever seen you're like that's that's rob liefeld yeah all day long oh uh, or if you see a certain set of like literally like feet that look like hooves you're like oh that's rob liefeld right there that's all herb Eight billion pouches all over everything. He, you know, he's got his niche. He looks a certain kind of way, you know. And he's, and and you got to give him credit for his uh, inventing of Deadpool, if you will. Yeah. Um, and Deadpool's a swipe in its own way. So, but we'll go back into the to the spawn. Uh, so the character is is uh, Albert Francis Simmons. That's the spawn's character, Al Simmons. As everybody knows. Um, and the other thing that's wild about like Spawn there is that at the time he's a African American like leading man in a comic, which is very unheard of at the time. Yeah, but there's very few. So Todd, a, a Canadian guy, white guy, draws this character, you know, and makes him, you know, this this sympathetic individual to a certain degree, and just like super badass if you will you know like yeah. so this guy it, it was pretty cool to see that and like how popular it became yeah. you know so you know in, in his little storyline is there's al's born in detroit he goes and joins the marine corps joins uh force recon at the time which they know really no longer exists it's called marsoc now by the way but so al would be marsoc now if he was that guy you know <laughs> uh but he joins there, then he, he um it's kinda wild, like his his start out, like when you really look at the history of it, he was born to a traveling salesman and a lady by the name of Esther Simmons, who was a devil worshipper. Which, you know, a lot of people don't don't know those little 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 things there. But that leads on to his future, obviously. Yeah. So it that comes into play later. It comes into play later. But uh so he's he's obviously you know at the time he's very intelligent uh character physically strong he uh highly decorated makes it to the rank of lieutenant colonel in the special forces in the marine corps gets out um joins a secret service one of the alphabet organizations which they call uh uh nsc nsc yeah, yeah. and uh which is funny because now you got nsa all this other yeah. stuff. Uh, so it's basically a security group umbrella, you know, kind of organization. And uh, so he starts working for those guys. The director of that is a fellow by the name of Jason Wynn, uh, also a former military, same deal. Uh, Al has to, like, that's the guy who's in charge of the whole program. So he's dealing with him. And uh, so he becomes an assassin doing things and, you know, the usurp governments and yeah these sort of things and destabilizing governments and right taking so, out high priority targets and all that kind of stuff and then so he a lot of bad stuff yeah a lot of bad stuff so you know he he's not giving himself a uh, a uh, a good record in the afterlife if you will for 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 judgment yeah and so uh but he also is conflicted there's a part of al that's like well some of this stuff we're doing is not right. Like, yeah. I can't be, I can't be doing some of this stuff, you know? And, uh, so Jason Wynn doesn't, uh, doesn't like that. He wants Spawn or Al to keep doing Al things. Just yeah. Go, just go kill Cause, through your Cause he's the best. He's the best at it. Yeah. So I guess like in a, 
you know, in, in a, this is the backstory, right? So they were in Botswana doing a mission. Um, when officially grows real tired of uh, him, Al doing, uh, basically uh, calling him out on this stuff. Like, why are we doing this? This is so he doesn't like that. So he, uh, his friend and partner uh, Bruce Stinson, codenamed Chapel. Chapel. Yeah. Which is a pretty cool character, which I wish they would bring back and do more. Oh, work. I know. I don't know what's going on with that, dude. There's some sort of lawsuit with that or something. Probably. I I yeah. want McFarlane to make a Chapel action figure so bad. Absolutely, they have not been one since I think the first wave. Yeah, that like uh that that first Young Bloods. Yeah, he's, yes, over, he's right over there, there somewhere. <laughs> he's uh, he's on the ground. There, mate. Yeah, he's down there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's in there. So basically, Wynn hires Chapel to kill al simmons and so during the mission uh he turns on him kills him and al's actually burned to death yeah. during that time flamethrower flamethrower does him in so kind of like a the the tarantino once upon a time in, in hollywood scenario you know? oh yeah, yeah so he yeah so he burns him basically um i was totally thinking of the the comedian from Watchmen. yeah there's a comedian from Watchmen that as well yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels between those two characters. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have a future episode on the, on the Watchmen since Hunter's like he, he loves that that whole oh, series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do too. So, but I think Hunter's probably far more into it. He's 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 got a better better <laughs> handle on it than I do. But it's <laughs> it's a great series. It's it's the uh, written well. Uh, got a crazy crazy guy behind it writing. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's a lunatic. Which uh, Alan Moore. Uh, writes a lot of spawn. Well, Absolutely. not a lot, not but a lot, but a lot of the really good issues. Absolutely, yeah. Some of the early stuff, yeah. Some of the early lore and all that is, it's from, it's yeah, from Alan Moore. From Alan Moore. So if you don't know who Alan Moore is in the comic book world, uh, you should probably check him out. Yeah, he's got absolutely. a lot of good stuff. He he is a wild man. He is a wild man. Uh, you will definitely you think about down, humanity a lot differently yeah, after you, you read any of his books. You go down a rabbit hole on on Alan Moore, yeah. man. Um, but yeah, really he's a, and he is a good guy. He's just, I think he's, he's just very jaded over the years. Yeah. Don't blame him. But like I said, uh, yeah, so Spawn, Al Simmons, basically, that ends up in, uh, uh, in a place that you don't want to be at because of the things he's done. So he ends up in hell. He has to talk to a guy by the name of what? Malbosia. Malbosia. Yeah. So Malbosia in, Simmons agree that uh, he'll become a hell spawn, which is a soldier in the army of hell. And uh, so, Al, not only that, he'll eventually become the general yeah. of the of hell's army, basically. Where it's you know it's fight at the at the end of times. So he is uh, allowed to uh, return to Earth, but there's some much like anything, like Ghost Rider and stuff like that, when you're dealing, when you're trying to make a deal with the devil, it doesn't always work out in your yeah. favor in that way. There is a price to pay. Yeah, so he comes back, what, five years later? Five years. Yeah. Also, he's uh, still severely burned. Yep. So his image, like his face and everything is just, he looks like Freddy Krueger if you're not. Yep. Yeah, that's, most people are familiar with that. So. He kind of, skin-wise and, and, and appearance-wise, he looks like that. So he's he's like tooling around the city dressed like that. Um, he has to wear it first. He's wearing like a cloak and those sort of things to cover up who he looks like and not to freak everybody out. He's yeah. staying with the homeless, basically living that kind of life. Um, but the, the whole reason uh, he came back is um, he wanted to see his wife and uh, the, the devil, Malboja, of course, takes advantage of that. He's like, oh, sure, you can see your wife. Right. But you're going to go back five years later, and you're going to have an amnesia. You're not going to know who you are. Right. And it's just a downward spiral for Spawn from there. But when he finally does figure out kind of who he is and where she's at, he realizes that she's she's married his best friend. Yeah, she moved on. She moved on and had a kid. And had a kid. So, you know, he's moved on from Al. Married his best friend. 
Um, yeah, it's been a whole thing. So his best friend Perry marries marries him. Um, so basically, he made a deal for his soul for nothing. Pretty much, yeah. Um, uh, so he also is uh, saddled with a with a demon guardian by the name of Violator, which provides a lot of comic relief uh, and just overall weirdness. Yeah. In the in the in every issue that he's in, and in the movie, and the movie he's played by uh, John Leguizamo. Yeah, and that guy does like I just to this day I don't see anybody else being able to play that role. Nope. But him, and it's not even that it's the way he looks because you know Violator in his uh, worldly form is this like super fat, obese clown, right? Just kind of wild looking character. Um, that's and John Leguizamo doesn't look like that, but the uh, the way he acts the part, the way he speaks, and everything. Oh, he, is, he's is got the the attitude down. Yeah, he's got it spot on. Yeah, so I just really couldn't, you know, see anybody else playing that role. And to be honest with you, um, you know, I would love to see, you know, at least if they don't want to use him entirely for that role. Um, they should probably uh, at least have him in there, like somewhat. Yeah. Or I just don't know who they would have play that role. Otherwise, maybe, maybe play one of the uh, the Violator brothers, like the Vandalizer or the, the Vindicator. Vindicator. Yeah, that'd be all right. That'd be cool. A little Easter egg. Yeah, it would be if they if they're gonna go that route. Yeah, you gotta at least have him in there. But uh, but we did we did get we did get that early Spawn movie, um, in the late nineties. Uh, it's. I still like it. Um, there's things I don't like about it, but um, overall, it's it's not a terrible movie. No, movie wise, it's great. Um, now, CGI and stuff that's a bit suspect. Yeah, which like I always talk about, which is kind of wild because it was made shortly before uh, the Matrix movie, which obviously had really fantastic uh, CGI. So, yeah, and. Uh, so in the movie we're talking about instance, who played Spawn in the movie? Michael J. White. Michael J. White and Michael J. White could still play Spawn. Absolutely, he's actually the same age as Jamie Foxx, which was yeah casted to play him in the reboot, which yeah. who knows if we'll get now. But yeah, uh, they're the same age, and Michael J. White still looks great. Yeah, still could play that role in my opinion. Um, The other thing that, that Spawn now, Al Simmons has, is he has, uh, he does have the the, the amnesia that, that uh, Hunter referred to, but he also um, has flashbacks of, like, things that he's done um, as Al Simmons and, and, and like, his wife. And the, it's basically any painful thing that, that's happened, he gets flashbacks of that stuff in minute doses, and, and it's you know, later you see that it's attributed that that's basically, you know, hell's way of, of, of usurping control over him and stuff like that. You know, at first you think it's like, oh, well, he's getting his memory back and stuff like that. But it's like they're really kind of trying to break him down mentally. Yeah. For, and and the uh, the violator, the clown, he does that quite well. He, he He's tasked with, with watching Al Simmons and making sure he's, following this one kind of path but also he's uh he doesn't like him <laughs> no yeah he's like he he feels superior to him he does he feels superior to him and he wants to you know he wants to be in charge of the army yeah and, and this and that stuff so um but that's how he ends up tracking down wanda his wife which is kind of funny because that her name's wanda because todd named her after his wife you know so uh and then he he named uh, Wanda's daughter in the book after his real life daughter Cyan. Yeah, Cyan, yep, that's true. So, but Al Simmons Spawn, they're the same at this point. He uh, he goes through and and basically uses his old you know connections and CIA files to figure out where everybody's at that he wants to get involved with, you know. Um, but it's kind of funny because like there's no there's no super like in the early issues. There's kind of building a little story. There's no super, uh, 
big bad character just yet. <laughs> There's no super big bad character just yet. He's fighting like street level thugs and stuff. But then the, the, the they're all tied in with the mob. So he ends up, you know, getting involved with uh, those guys, of course, right? Um, the leader of the mob at that point in time, what's his name? Tony Twist. Tony Twist. Well, Todd, like the, again, that leads up to why, uh, you know, there's some legal wranglings there because there's a Canadian hockey player by the name of Tony Twist that Todd knew of and he liked the name. So he used it in there. Well, it came back to bite him because the hockey player, Tony Twist, sued Todd for $15 million for using his name. Yeah. Um, the character doesn't even really look like him at all. No. It just used the name. Um, it went through several layers of court, and finally they, they just settled for $5 million out of out of court, which is kind of wild. But, yeah. So that, that was one of the first things that, that Todd got sued over. Um, with some of these, some of these early issues, you, he brought in, uh, Neil Gaiman yep. of, uh, Sandman fame nowadays, Sandman, Coraline, Coraline, lot, lots of things. If that guy's fantastic, he's great writer, great writer. Yeah. Any of the stuff he does, highly recommend reading it, you know, and, uh, a lot of people like that don't know a lot about comics that have talked to me recently that they're, they think they thought that he wrote like the crow. Oh no! But it's I, I can see why but, people. Would, yeah, but it, it, I can see yeah. it too. So I understand. So it's not like it's not like I can't believe you thought that, you know. But but yeah. So Todd brought Neil Gaiman in to write some of these early issues. I think what was it? Uh, it was uh, started in seven, maybe. Yeah, seven, eight, and nine, maybe. Right, and so he definitely uh, nine. Yeah, definitely nine. He um, created a, a few characters there. Uh, Cagliostro, who made it into the movie, mm-hmm. um, Angela, and Medieval Spawn, right? Yep. Uh, those are some characters he created there. So the big one, for some odd reason, was Angela. Like, you know, first Todd pulled this whole, I just hired Neil Gaiman as a independent contractor. Like, all this stuff is mine. You know, it, it kind of, kind of went away from his like you own your own art stuff you know yeah the parallel there is kind of yeah kind of funny he kind of turned turned into everything that he like rebelled against there for a little bit but i think he realized like later that it was like this is this is stupid this isn't what i should have done this is like you know he thought better of it but at the time like you know todd's on top of the world and he's super cocky and he's like a he's a rock he's literally a rock star in that realm um He's out here, like, hanging out with, you know, like, all the big rock stars. He's, he's like, you know, being going to movie premieres, and he's doing all kinds. So he he's, thinks he's big stuff, you know. He's, you know, throwing out, you know, first pitches at baseball games and <laughs> buying baseballs you shouldn't have bought, you know, that sort of stuff. A little later, he buys some baseballs he shouldn't have bought. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the home run baseballs. But, you know, the... the Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa balls and stuff like Mark McGuire, you know, the, the steroid error. But Todd's a wild man at the time. Like, he, he, you know, he does all kinds of crazy stuff. So for him to get, you know, to get into gaming like that was kind of, that was out of character. So yeah. I think he just got too big for his britches at the time. Oh, definitely. Basically. And and so, yeah, he for was. For sure. Yeah, so the, it goes through, like, I think, Gaiman didn't sue him until like 2002, give or take. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. And it didn't settle for like what six years or something like that. Something crazy. It, it was it was wild. You can uh, you can check out the uh, the the court case on uh, YouTube. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, the whole thing's on there. Um, but, but it's wild that uh, uh, it took so long. Like Angela's a big part of that book for a Absolutely. long time. Absolutely, uh, she's in it until one hundred. Yep. So from nine, you know, basically to one hundred, she's that's a big storyline there. And now, unfortunately, she cannot be used in the Spawn book again or movie without some great cost, I reckon. 
No. But no. She, she's a Marvel character yeah. now. So that's what Neil Gaiman did. He he got complete control of her. Um, I believe Todd still got Tagliostro and uh, and Medieval Spawn. I don't. But I, I believe Gaiman gets royalties on that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about Cogliostro. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a that's a gray area for me. I don't. I've not seen him in any books in a while, so I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look up. You know that that particular thing. But Medieval Spawn is still like a pivotal character now. Right. He's a a very big part of Scorched and uh, the main Spawn book. Yeah. And so they basically, uh, yeah, Gaiman. Uh, was given full ownership of Angela, so yeah, they still have they still have co ownership of the other two. Oh, they do. Okay, yeah. had, to, had to had to Google button on that one, but they still yeah, because that that whole legal case has a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, it's it's super confusing. But so yeah, he has that, and uh, so he ended up selling, um, I think in twenty twelve, I believe it was. That's when he full on sold Angela to Marvel. Yeah, and now she's like a now she's, Asgardian. Yeah, she's like one of Thor's sisters or something. Yeah, that's yeah. And uh, they really don't do anything with her. No, it's terrible. Like, it, it, and she doesn't really fit in that universe like she should. No, like you can pretty much tell that she's a like that she should be in a, a Spawn character. Yeah. So, well, you you have the Marvel Legend right there, and yeah, e- even that looks like out of character. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Doesn't look exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, it does. So it's it's a it's a nice one, but it doesn't look like what Angela should look. It doesn't look like the old Angela yeah. stuff. I do have the Marvel Legend up there. Uh, actually, I think uh, Mr. Wesley Gift procured that for me when I was looking for Wes Gift. Yeah, the man. Right. Who was so, taking classes at the Kubert School? Yeah, the Kubert School. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I like to do that one of these days. Yeah, got to got to find who who's teaching and and one that I need to be involved in. I do think it's with uh, I think it's Amy Cho he's doing it with now. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, but like a lot of people don't realize too is that like in Spawn, the, the first few issues like like during all this, Todd took some. He did the first like seven issues, and he took some of them off. Like he was already trying to like figure out how to like get the rest of this empire going because then he started up uh todd's toys right and uh then he got sued over that or almost got sued over that by mattel did you know this did not yeah tell me more so what it was was that you know mattel makes barbie right at the time okay well they had uh they had created uh a character called todd Oh my god! Yeah, there's a Barbie <laughs> character called Todd, and it came out coincidentally at near the same time that he launched this thing. Mm. And they were gear a big company like Mattel. That's a whole they got a whole other level of money, right? They were gearing up to sue Todd over this name, Todd's Toys, because like they wanted to be able, like they 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 had they had the Todd, they basically uh, you know rights, if you will, for this this whole line of things. That they were planning for this character, so he changed everything to McFarland toys just as not to get into a whole other lawsuit with uh, a big company. Yeah, which I don't blame him. Whatsoever. Understandably, yeah, yeah, you're you're not gonna you're not no. gonna exhaust Mattel's money. Yeah, so a, another comic creator is one thing. A right. multi million dollar company is yeah. totally different. And let's face it, he had more money than Neil Gaiman did at the time, so you know he's yeah. like. I can beat you. Yeah, just take the payout. And he didn't really beat him, but but there was a there was an amicable judgment, if you will. Yeah. Um, I I'm think a, they both got their uh, right their steam out of the way, and I don't think that you'll be seeing any uh, Todd McFarlane, Neil Gaiman collaborations in the future. So probably not. Yes, yeah, so I don't think they still like each other, or or Todd and Mister David. <laughs> yeah, Peter David. So yeah, Peter Davis. If you ever want to watch some of the wildest comic book stuff and see what I'm talking about, about how Todd thought he was a, such a rock star at the time, watch this debate between Peter David and Todd McFarlane. 
we talked about this in the last podcast we did, so it's important. So you need to watch this. Yeah, you need to watch this. If you not, don't just listen to it. You have to watch it. Yeah, to go down. Like, Todd McFarlane comes out looking like Rocky. Yeah, he's he's shirtless. <laughs> he's like shows up with like skinny jeans on and he's shirtless, just like rolls up to this press conference at a con. Like, what is going on here? It's it's a whole <laughs> circus, man. He's you could tell he's just playing this whole part. Like, I don't want to be here. Uh, what I really love it in about the video is in the background you can see a couple of cosplayers dressed up as like Grifter and Velocity or something right. like that, and they're just like dying laughing the yeah. whole time. Super early for for that kind of cosplay too, man. It's oh like, yeah, yeah. It's like the only cosplay you would see back then were like hired actors that they like that if a comic book creator was going to show up at like a comic book store for a signing or or there was going to be a then it was rare a rare comic con around that wasn't like in san diego or new york yeah you know so, so like i mean i grew up in near houston so if you went up there to a comic con you would see like you know four or five you know people maybe dressed up as like you know, they had a traveling guy dressed up like a spawn yeah or maybe somebody dressed up as superman but it was rare what was that one? Um, bedrock. There was always that one dude dressed up as Bedrock. Right, right, yeah, always. But the big thing was, it, it's kind of crazy, but the, the people that really started that whole cosplay thing were the Trekkies. They're the ones that did that. They started, like, sewing the uniforms. and so The Star Trek people, you, if you want to thank somebody for cosplay, <laughs> those guys were the ones that started really dressing up, guys and gals, started dressing up that part, you know. But yeah, so so you know we kind of got off topic a little <laughs> bit there. But but Spawn, uh, the comic, yeah, T Todd was basically cranking those out. I think he did like issues one through seven, then took a little break there and let some other people work. You know, uh, some really good creators in there. Yeah, um, like I said, he had some pivotal issues in there. Um, I believe it was was it not. Uh, was it was it ten that with Dave Sim? Dave uh, Sim, the, the Cerebus crossover. Right. I'm a huge Cerebus fan, so Absolutely. that was a yeah really good issue for me. Absolutely. So, I mean, how cool is that? You, you got at the time the longest running like indie yeah. independent comic out there, and, and and at least Todd didn't you know like gave that guy a big up, you know? Yeah. Like hey. Because people knew who it was, like that were reading. But now there's like a this giant audience is like, oh, who's this Cerebus? What's this? What's this weird looking little little Aardvark. Aardvark cartoon character on the front of Spawn? What's this yeah. about? So that was that was a that was cool of him to to kind of get you know Dave Stem in there, and then which if you haven't read Cerebus, it it's kind of a acquired taste, but I definitely recommend it. Right, uh, the High Society volume i think it's volume two right. some of the best comics i've ever read and and earlier we were talking you know before we started recording we talked about the the the, the will Spartaccio, he how he did some spawn well i've tracked it down he did uh issues 185 to 92 94 to 95 and then 97 oh yeah so like some some jim downing issues you know oh yeah jim downing so at, at one point in time uh, I have a spawn 194 right here. There you go. I just got it in the mail. Yeah, so he's there's a you gotta get 195 to go with it if you don't get it. I think I got that one. Yeah, Hunter did get a, a mail call. He, he busted it open while he was over here. Got a sweet spawn book. Who did the art for that one? What does it say? Will Sportatio. He did the art for it too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Greg, Greg Capullo cover though, because he's the best. Yeah. Figured as much. Yeah. Capullo. That guy is, you know, there's Todd, but he's right there with Todd is like the most prolific and, and, and best, in my opinion, uh, Spawn cover artist that's ever been. Um, and I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. Really great guy. Super cool guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is who he is. He, he looks like, and he's another one that he thinks and is a rock star. He, think, he knows what he is. Oh, yeah. So he, yeah. Like he literally 
plays in a rock band. Yeah, you. he's like a thrash metal person. Absolutely. And then, uh, what was it? Alan Moore wrote number eight, which is a wild book. That is a wild book. Yeah, so we're talking about Alan Moore, and I guess he wrote 37 as well. Okay. So, yeah. But I, was, I wish Dave Sim would have done another another book. He did 10, which was a cool book, but. It was very meta. Yeah, and then the ten, and at the very end of ten, you have what, where he's, you know, but that's a good book. And then he even had Robert Kirkman do a Spawn book. Oh, really? Two hundred. Oh yeah. Oh, I guess that that is right around that time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another one we we talked about in the first episode is Robert Kirkman. You know co-creator of them. He likes to be creator of um, The Walking Dead. He It's under the Image umbrella. Um, he's another one that he's basically kept you know, one of the people, one of the major people that's kept Image prevalent into this yeah. this part of comic book history, you know, into the modern time. So. Yeah. Definitely with The Walking Dead, uh, more recently with Invincible. Invincible, yeah. That's a, so he's got a couple of books that are really Obviously, really solid. Um, Walking Dead being the big one, though. Yeah. Battle Pope. Battle Pope. Battle yeah. Pope. If you if you can track down those, those are some sweet issues. Dude, that book is awesome. The wild book. Battle Pope is a wild book, but um, you got the uh, yeah, Tony Moore doing the artwork on those early um, Walking Dead books. Both those guys are are local guys, really. Yeah. You know. Both of them went to Eastern, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I used to live right down the road from both of them. Right. And uh, you'll still see them here from time to time. Yep. Um, they had the Comic-Con in Richmond put on by, uh, which was then known as Rich City Con, which was, uh, you know, Todd Sulford's put that on. He had uh, Tony Moore there. Um, I got a little. Tyler Childers flip book, right? And I got it signed by Tony Moore. Yeah. So, actually, if you if you look in between those two, uh, the, the comic book oh, right boxes there. up there. Yeah. There it be. I need to send it off uh, to get. I want to actually get that one graded and sent off. But uh, I'd like to have. Uh, it's possible since he's pretty local too. So I'd like to get Tyler to sign it at some point in time. Oh, yeah. If I ever encounter him, I'll be like, I need to get this signed, man. <laughs> Sign this dude. Yes, I, but Tony was nice enough, and he had, a like, a very, there's a very limited run of those little flip books out there in the world, and once you see it, you're like, that, that's definitely Tony Tony's artwork, you know? Yeah. Um, very fan, distinct. Yeah, fantastic guy. When you meet him, too, he's goes above and beyond to, to make you, you know, happy you're, you're, you met him, you know? Um, there's been some people you meet you know in the celebrity wise in the in the industry that you're like oof wish i'd have never met that guy but you know vast majority of folks that i've met i'm like super happy i met them but yeah so the i know the first like i said the first episode we had some audio trouble hopefully we've resolved that yeah it kind of sounds like we have from our end yeah, so we'll see how it sounds out there when we put it to the to the world again. Uh, and we've already got some people that we've actually, some of them we mentioned, some of them we hadn't mentioned yet, that are, that have been interested in uh, coming on and, and talking with us on the show. Hopefully, we'll get that set up here pretty soon, and we'll have some the ability to, to do that here soon. I know, yeah. we, I know Marcus Johnson wants to come on here and talk wrestling and shoot some promos, and nobody shoots a promo like Marcus. So. No. <laughs> yeah, he shoots, he shoots a killer promo, so we're going we're to get him on the show. It'd be good to talk to. Uh, even uh, Adam Fritz came on. He was, he get, sent me a message, wants to come on the show, and he wants to talk some uh, some anime stuff, probably with Hunter over there, because he's more of the anime character. Ooh. And, yeah. I'll have to brush up on Dragon that. Dragon Ball Z stuff and, and that sort of stuff. I'll but, have to brush up on that stuff. And then, yeah, and then uh, some Harry Potter stuff. He's okay, in, he's into that, you know, which is him and his wife both. So it's cool. I, I like I like Harry Potter as well. Just it's uh they know they are like subject matter experts on such things. 
Oh, that's cool. It's like seriously, if you got if you got some questions about that, that's your guy and gal right there. So we'll have maybe have them on there. Like you know, I like to get Gene on here because she's got some pretty strong opinions about DC <laughs> comics being so <laughs> you know so DC like you know. Uh, she really likes that, and it's mostly do you know you got Wonder Woman, and you had some cool characters on it. She really yeah. liked. Um, maybe, maybe we'll get uh, uh, you know young Natalie on here. She's a big comic. She reads comics. She she picks uh, she, she exclusively reads the the Harley Quinn comics. That's her like her favorite. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she loves like Harley Quinn stuff. Her her jam. So I'm sure you get her on here to talk about that. And, like like. It even influences her, like, uh, going to jiu-jitsu competitions and stuff. She always, like, gets her hair colored just that way. And so she'll be over there doing that stuff. But it's all, you know, it's all influences. And we're going to have a, an episode coming here in the near future, considering that this is the 50th year anniversary of hip-hop, you know, created in the, in the South Bronx, the Boogie Down Bronx. DJ Cool Herc launched that stuff back in the day. And it's been been going pretty strong. Uh, we may not seem like it, but Hunter and I are we're, we're pretty old school hip hop heads. So, you know, we we that's one of the things we bonded over was Beastie Boys. You know, yes, like, sir. Cool stuff. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna do some an episode based on, you know, hip hop and comics and vice versa, comics and hip hop. So there's a lot of lyrics that are influenced by, you know, by comic book readers. Some of the you know, the entirety of the Wu-Tang Clan are big comic book fans. You know what I mean? They got books yep. and they, they, they rap about it in the comics. So, like, some of the good stuff, you know. Yep. We're not too, I mean, I'm not too big on, uh, you know, modern, modern rappers. But no. no. We're, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the classic good stuff. But I guess now it's classic. But <laughs> the, Ooh. yeah, hurt your soul, right? Uh-huh. But the, um, yeah, we'll get that done. Get, get one of them out here. And like I said, upcoming, you know, Ed Pisker's got the hip hop omnibus coming out. Yep. Uh, if you want, if you want to see some really cool like history of hip hop in comics, you go to Ed Pisker's page. You find him. It's a uh, he's a great artist. Does this hip hop family tree arts done well? Tells the story of hip hop basically. All all the all the classics, if you like, or all those artists are in there. Run DMC, Beastie Boys, all those guys are in there. So, yep. You know, I'll have to bring my uh, giant artist edition of the uh, Ed Piscor Gallery. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah what, that, how that, big is that book? It's huge. It's like three feet tall. He he likes that sort of stuff, man. He's funny with that because he always yeah. talks about how like I forget who it is offhand, but there's the artist, the comic book artist that drew like. Like life size stuff, they would do watercolors, like life size. Oh, um, but he's just like, it's just Jewett would know, yeah, Jewett would know right off the bat. Jewett, like, oh, that's him. Um, yeah, saw Jewett today, actually. Great, great to see Jewett today. Yep, yeah, he's in there doing Jewett things, (laughs) just showing me some wild, crazy indie comic he found. Oh, the the highlighter book, the highlighter book, yeah, that thing's wild, wild. I was just like looking through this. I'm like, this is this book's all over the place. Yeah, kind of wild, but yeah, the but yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a few of those in the, in the next few issues. Like I said, any suggestions? We 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 do take that to heart. We do appreciate anybody and everybody that listens. Yeah, um, you know, we we want the local folks to listen. But hey, man, if we get big in, you know, Italy or Spain or somewhere, <laughs> you know, because whatever reason, I don't know. I was just talking to Jewett about a podcast where they used to do one where he said that for some reason they had these huge numbers in, in Spain. He couldn't figure out why. But they started playing to the, to the Spanish crowd, you know. Hey. But so we hope to we, we hope to get some of that stuff done. Yeah, seriously, thank you guys for yeah. listening and sharing and supporting us even before we recorded our first episode. Yeah, we'll try to get it out there. Thank you for following the Instagram page. If you haven't done that yet, please do so. Have your friends do so. Uh, every little bit of that helps. Kind of trying to grow this organically. Uh, it really does help to get that going. We're, you know, we're not trying to do anything crazy. We're just trying to have fun with it. 
talking about it and hopefully you know get get some folks into some comics that they wouldn't normally be into or get into comics period like yeah you know just check that stuff out if you've not been to a comic shop in you know 15 20 years or longer just go check one out yeah. wherever you're at check out your local comic shop go in there and just look around the demographic has uh has changed quite a bit to who yeah. who's buying comics and stuff and so yeah but i'm uh chris langford and i'm hunter groves and this has been an episode of the commonwealth comic podcast thanks guys